Welcome to Cool Breeze Over the Mountains, a podcast where we chronologically step through and discuss each film starring Keanu Reeves. My name is Andrew Gormley, and I am one of your hosts. I am joined on this episode by two very reliable co-hosts. She <laughs> believes in the devil because the devil believes in her. Whitney Nelson. That is correct. Actually, that's the opposite. Uh, we've I, Have we talked about that on this show? I know for a fact the devil doesn't exist because he's never tried to sell me anything for my soul. And I absolutely would sell my soul for something. So that's how oh, I know he doesn't exist. The no, no deal. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, I'm Whitney. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> right. and, that, and that other voice you heard laughing right there. If you are here in violation of the balance, you must leave immediately or they will deport you. Asia Romano returns. Whoa, what an intro. Hi. <laughs> I try to set them up. I have a lot of fun, especially with a movie like this, which has so many quotable lines. I'm like, so, what? So many. Spoil of riches here. Spoil mm -hmm. of riches. Ah, oh, it's so nice to be back. <laughs> <laughs> so your last episode with us was on just an amazing film, The The Watcher. <laughs> How are you feeling coming into this one that we're about to discuss? Um. The pressure's on because I <laughs> I feel like I have a lot to uh, – there's been a lot of buildup about Constantine. And I don't mm. know how I can top a film like The Watcher, but I, I will do my best. <laughs> perfect. Perfect, perfect. So uh, up top, real quick, I want to mention the website's Cool Breeze Pod. Uh, email is coolbreezepod at gmail.com. You can hit us up on Twitter at coolbreezepod, uh, as so many people often do. It's very lovely to talk to the listeners and fans and things like that. Makes this all kind of worth it. We're not shouting into the void, Whitney. It's nice. It people is nice. are listening. I know. They're, they're it's, responding. <laughs> it's really, it's really, you feel relieved. And it, that isn't something that you should feel, but you're like, oh my gosh, there are people out there. Yeah, it's, it's, it's immediately like, oh, I'm not just doing this because I'm a blowhard who wants to hear my own voice. <laughs> right. We're all in this together. We Everyone's picked the right guy. Together. Yeah, we did. We did. I mean, America's sweetheart. It's true. It's true. So let's get right into this. Uh, today, you know, not to bury the lead, we are talking about the film Constantine. <laughs> which is huge. This is our penultimate episode of the season two as we've, as we've kind of broken these up. So the plot synopsis from IMDb is as follows. Supernatural exorcist and demonologist John Constantine helps a policewoman prove her sister's death was not a suicide, but something more. Does it was he? Based <laughs> I think that's hey, look. factually inaccurate. Accurate, but I'm just telling you what IMDb tells me. But <laughs> hey, I guess we'll get to it. Yeah. Uh, it was based on the Hellblazer comic series and adapted to the screen by Kevin Broadbin and Frank A. Capello. I'm not too sure what else these fellows have done, but there you go. I think it. you need to put based on and very heavy quotes there. <laughs> yeah, that's well, so, so that's, I'm told. That's like the thing that we'll get into because I have absolutely no background in that comic book, like in any of the storyline. But I know that's a big part of the reason it was one of the earliest comic book movies where people are like, this is nothing like the comic books and that it was a bad movie for that reason. Um, mm. I'm, I have a lot to talk about when we get to that point, but. I'm, I'm interested in, in having the conversation of how loosely based it was. 
All right. I'm excited. Mm-hmm. Asia, do you have experience with the, the comic in this regard? Or? Um, yeah, I have. I've read a couple of, of issues of Hellblazer. Nothing too deep, um, but I'm familiar with most of the. Well, it borrowed it, it, basically it borrowed very, very little from the comics. So it's easy to sum up. Like, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> cool. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I'm excited to talk about that then. Also, yeah. I have no experience with it, but excited to chat about it. So this was directed by Francis Lawrence, whose directing credits also include I Am Legend, the latter three Hunger Games. I don't think he did the first one. And Red Sparrow, which was that was a a movie. (laughs) He also directed (laughs) a bunch of of iconic music videos. He directed uh, what I think is one of the greatest music videos ever made, which is Lady Gaga's Bad Romance. Yes. Um, And a bunch of like major like mid 2000s early 2000s pop hits um and i just want to give a shout out to 1997's masterpiece coolio's i'll see you when you get there a very <laughs> oh, wow, formative that was music hell video yeah. <laughs> that's cool hell yeah <laughs> wild all right guys got quite a background quite never would have guessed but i'm into it that's a great that music actually, video that informs a lot of the, all right, I have, I've got to write some notes down while we're I'll, when Whitney starts talking. I got to write some notes down. That gives me. I got some insights now. All right, here we go. Mm-hmm. Co-starring along, uh, alongside Keanu in this film is quite a list of, uh, of names. Yes, that I forgot almost all of. But here we every go. every single one of. Yes, correct. <laughs> right. I'm like, what? Uh, Did you forget Tilda Swinton? I kind of well, so. <gasps> Here's the deal on our uh, last the last movie we watched, Thumbsucker, also had Tilda Swinton in it. And just doing our general kind of relational type stuff is like, oh, yeah, we're going to see two movies in a row with Tilda Swinton. I was like, holy shit, I forgot that uh, we're it's great. I'm really excited about (laughs) it. I have a lot to talk about when it comes to forgetting things about this movie. So because I I preface this. I said in the last episode when we were talking about this movie that I have never seen it. My sister listened to that episode and texted me and said, we went to go see that movie together in theaters. (laughs) What are you talking about? So we are are now. Yeah. Like the conversation we had about his suits and et cetera. Um, So I have to update the audience that. A, my sister says 100% we saw this in theaters and had conversations mm-hmm. about it. And B, you know, the update to that, having now watched it for the podcast. Very. Oh, so much. So much to get to. Here we go. <laughs> but but let's start with the names because there's yeah. a lot of names in this. Yeah, we have Rachel Weiss. I think that's how you say that. It's like a V, right? I, hope. I think so. A W, but it's a V. Shia LaBeouf. Little uh, baby Shia LaBeouf. Yeah, young, crazy. Uh, we have Jimon Hansu, mm-hmm. who you know from like many, like he's in recent Marvel films, Guardians of the Galaxy, stuff like that. He's made quite a career and a name for himself. Mm-hmm. We have Pruitt Taylor Vince, Gavin Rossdale. Gavin mm-hmm. Rossdale. <laughs> Tilda Swinton, and Peter Stormara, I think is how you pronounce that. <laughs> is that Stormare? Stormare? Peter Stormare? Stormare. Yeah. Okay. In his most Peter Stormare role to date. Right, perhaps the best incarnation. Uh, he's of just this real character. Peter Stormare in this. Uh, I did not know that he was in it, and I was very excited when I saw him. 
That's awesome. Whitney, let's let's dig into this. What are the tell me what people tell me what the critics tell me what everyone thinks about this film. Yeah. So on Rotten Tomatoes, we have a critical score of 46 percent, which is not great. But we have an audience score of 72 percent, which is surprisingly great. Um, We have a couple user and critic quotes here for um, the movie. Brian Lowry from Variety said, blazes few new trails and bogs down in a confusing narrative muddle. And Mm. Joshua H., who's a user on Rotten Tomatoes, gave it three and a half out of five stars and says, while not the epic fans were hoping for, Reeve's spiritual journey is still a lot of fun, albeit very dumb. Recommended. (laughs) Which is a little bit of an Ebony review. Sure, sure. It's fun. Uh, not an epic, know very dumb. Year that, I recommend Do you know what it. year that review was written? Any clue? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, yikes. I could probably pull that really quickly, but generally, I think they are, I, I don't ever pull, like, those top, top few, because they're generally, like, epic book-length reviews, right, and we're right. not trying to read <laughs> someone's dissertation on Constantine. Sure, sure. So... Yeah, I can it, check. I, it probably wasn't, it wasn't like at white, the time white, of. No, okay, yeah. No, they very. I can say that for sure. Yeah, very rarely the. Uh, <laughs> yeah. March twenty thirteen. Twenty thirteen is when Nailed when it. that review was left. Perfect. So that yeah yeah. <laughs> so yeah, a decade later, it's fine. <laughs> hindsight, hindsight. Uh, what do we have next here? I don't oh. know. Are we going to talk or are we going to share listener thoughts? That's right. Christina at Keanu Wave on Twitter. We put out the call with basically every movie, but certainly for the bigger ones. Send us your thoughts. Let us know what you think. So this is what Christina had to say. I hope the audio is loud enough. Here we go. yeah that's christina all right thank you for sending that in christina and a belated a happy belated birthday to you we missed it it was friday but thank you that was that that was awesome and then I guess after that, we have a couple listener thoughts here. From Whitney, Twitter. do you want to read these? Yeah. Do you, do you, From yeah. uh, Nisi O'Keefe, at Nisi O'Keefe on Twitter, um, said, It should have been a health warning because between Tilda Swinton and Gavin Rossdale, I couldn't breathe for most of it. I nearly <laughs> died. I nearly died of gorgeous overload. It's a serious condition. <laughs> and I get where Nisi's coming from. I am picking up what Nisi is laying down. Not so much oh. Gavin Rossdell, never really been my flavor, but okay. uh, Tilda Swinton, for sure. And I know that for my sister, this was the the like formative Tilda Swinton is my number one crush uh, movie. This so, was a, this was the formative Tilda Swinton moment for I a think lot of culturally, people. honestly. Yeah. Like I think culturally, right. this was the moment people really went, "Oh my God, who is that?" You know, 
and kept mm-hmm. going, oh my God, who's that? <laughs> or at least, you know, at least went, oh, it's that person that we that we lost our minds over in Constantine, you know? <laughs> well, like True. in Thumbsucker, which we just saw, she's like kind of a boring mom that her whole thing is she wants to be seen more than she is. And, and I feel like I don't, I can't place her in any movies before that in the timeline. Like, she I don't know in, what I've seen that she was in before, but. She was in Orlando, which is an adaptation of a um, Virginia, is it Virginia Woolf novel? I think um, it is. Hmm. But and I don't um, about uh, basically like an androgynous, um, uh, God, I don't even remember the, the original gender of Orlando, um, but I, th- I think they might be intersex. Um, yeah. But basically, they're they're genderqueer, and she plays the the title role, and that was the only thing I'd seen her in before Constantine, and I so I had her in my head as like this very like already as this very androgynous figure, yeah. And then after she played Gabriel, I was like like completely like my genderqueer heart was like I will follow you wherever <laughs> you go. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is what really started to establish Tilda Swinton on the road of like otherworldly. For sure. I mean, yeah. Tilda Swinton is just another worldly person as it is. Um, but I think that this was sort of the the first step for me. So we also have from Kabaz, Kazbaz, Kazbaz, uh, who is yeah. at Um Frivixen. Um yeah. Frivixen. Um. <laughs> um Frivixen on Twitter. Uh, there's only one thing a person needs to know about Constantine before seeing it. Watch it on his biggest screen as you can find without breaking the law. Okay. Perfect. Fair. Uh, Karina <laughs> at Love Me Do on Twitter said, It is the best worst movie I ever saw. <laughs> the pendulum swings so far it goes over the top and then comes mm-hmm. back to the other side. I understand. Yeah. Okay. So when we're talking about our personal feelings now of this, um, and did this worthy movie work for you? And, you know, in the terms of like best worst movie i've seen way worse movies than this right way worse it doesn't even come close to being a bad movie compared to some of the bad movies that i've seen so i don't really understand how it got such a bad movie reputation i think even in the realm of bad superhero comic book crossover type stuff it's not even near the bottom of of the the ranking i think it's it's fun um i will say though I apparently saw it. I even watching it now, uh, knowing that I had seen it, not a single moment of film was something that triggered my memory. Like even now <laughs> watching it, knowing I had seen it, um, I none of it looked familiar. Not a single thing was familiar about it. I didn't remember anyone who was in it. I didn't remember any of the story, any of the demons, anything. I didn't remember Tilda Swinton. How do I not remember Tilda Swinton in a suit and oh. a tie? Like, there's yeah. no way that I don't remember that, but I didn't remember that. So that's how big an impression the movie made on me. So I feel right. like I had fun and enjoyed it. And I thought that actually compared to a lot of the movies we've seen recently, special effects wise, it held up so much better than I thought with a lot of the effects. There was a lot of CGI and a lot of it didn't look CGI. Um, like there's one scene in particular, which we can talk about later, but he's being drugged on the floor and he gets heavier and heavier. And that yes. looks incredible to the point where I think maybe it was practical effects, but it was if it was CGI, but we're talking about like the Matrix movies, which had such big CGI budgets coming out not that much before this and looking 40,000 times worse. <laughs> um, I yeah. don't know. I thought I thought that 
uh, Keanu Reeves did the sort of like pulp thing very well. Um, I think Rachel Weisz did a very good job on her end. Like I believed every minute of her, which I usually don't. I usually feel like she's doing her. And, um, you know, she's one of those people like Hugh Grant who she just plays herself in movies. And I didn't feel that in this one. I felt like this was a departure from a lot of the things I've seen of her. Uh, Peter Stormare, like I said, incredible. Tilda Swinton, absolutely incredible. Uh, yeah, I had fun. I thought Shia, this was maybe my favorite Shia LaBeouf that I've ever seen. Um, wow. Yeah. Okay. I thought that him as a little sidekick who pulls out all the knowledge at the end was a, a fun turn. And I liked I enjoyed every minute that he was on the screen. So I definitely don't think that it's the most well constructed plot or or like how they get from A to B. I think they tried to go too many places. But I think if you just set back and let the movie happen to you, it's pretty good. OK. All right. That's how I feel. We- Whitney coming out swinging. Mm-hmm. Asia, would you like to go next? Oh, yeah, I would love to. I've got so many thoughts on this film because <laughs> I, well, I, I have a couple of thoughts about just even listening to the the comments from people, from your, your listeners. I feel like they're sort of prone to doing what I think a lot of people are prone to doing when they approach genre films, which is they don't want to. Um, they don't want to go all in and praise it. <laughs> you know, like they don't want their, yeah. I feel like there's an inherent level at which we automatically come to, um, to any genre film that has not established or where the genre, where the genre itself has not quite established itself as something that we're supposed to take seriously, which I think in 2004, when Constantine came out, um, was where we were at with comic book movies. Yeah. Um, yeah. In context, this was about like this came out in February 2004. um, And so it was like, what, six months before or five months before um, the first Batman trilogy film. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yeah. Um, Yeah, that feels right. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got like we're in that in between phase where we don't have the same type of like uh, reclamation happening for comic books and comic book adaptations the way that we do that we were uh, seeing with Lord of the Rings at that point um, in the the zeitgeist, because Lord of the first Lord of the Rings movie is what two thousand two, two thousand three. Yeah, mm-hmm. if you, are you following me? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So basically, at that point, we weren't allowed to like comic book movies yet. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, like we weren't. Like we weren't. We the only we the only way we could we could like a comic book movie is if it didn't take it didn't take itself too seriously, um, and it was directed by Tim Burton. And all of the actors were like playing campy, self-aware versions of themselves that weren't too earnest because they were all pastiche, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, like, what are the exceptions before uh, the Nolan trilogy? Like, think about them because I can't think of any except maybe um, Christopher Reeve's Superman. But then that was the nice. '80s, which is like a right. whole different like like the and it was more of like a romance drama than a comic book film, you know? Yeah. If that makes sense, like it didn't have the it it, it didn't. And fully embrace the trappings of genre the way that something like a Tim Burton Batman film did. So by the time you got to Constantine, you had the effects of like of the Matrix sort of reclaiming sci-fi as a genre. And you had a Tolkien sort of reclaim or the Tolkien trilogy reclaiming fantasy as a genre. And we were in the middle of this decade long mainstreaming of geek culture. Um, and that tipping point hadn't started swinging f- towards comics yet. So when we got to Constantine, I feel like 
like the studio didn't know what to make of it. Fans didn't know what to make of it. Um, it wasn't enough of a comic book movie to be hailed as something um, like faithful as a faithful adaptation. So the comic book fans didn't embrace it. Um, but it was too much of a comic book movie to take seriously. You know, does, it yeah. make, does that make sense? So critically, I think, I think you're a hundred percent on the money because, like I said, like, like like just as a critic, I ha- who has spent decades watching other critics genre shame, like <laughs> critic. No, seriously, like I cannot, I cannot be any more blunt about how horrible critics are when it comes to genre shaming. Like if they don't think that it's okay to fully embrace the constraints of a genre, they will just shit on that genre all day without any type of like actual like critical evaluation of what it's doing right and what's doing wrong in the context of like, is this a real movie? Like, no, it's just some sort of like shitty comic book. Then we don't care. Like we don't, we just like, they just, they're horrible. They're horrible. Critics are horrible Uh. when it comes to genre shaming. And I'm, and I'm, I'm saying that whether it's like, whether you're looking at something like, um, like a romance or any type of like, uh, like sort of lowbrow fantasy, like any, like video games, even like, doesn't matter where the genre is like <laughs> until you yeah. reach a point where something like breaks through the, 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 the zeitgeist, the zeitgeist in order to elevate the genre. Um, people won't start taking it seriously. And then you always have the, the effect of, Oh, well that was just a one-off. Like the Nolan trilogy, the Nolan trilogy was just an exception forever to, the idea that you shouldn't take comic books seriously until the Marvel franchise came along and then forced yeah. people to take it seriously by virtue of being the biggest thing ever, you know? Yeah. Um, and and usually, usually what happens is like the, like with something like Constantine, that's low budget <laughs> and doesn't really have like the force of a major, like major studio backing behind it. People assume that that like is, they sort of go into the film, assuming that the low budget and the, the lack of marketing, et cetera, the fact that it's being released in February, are all like indicators that it's bad in advance, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So critics go in with that preconceived notion and they take their, their, their preconceived notions about genre with them. And it just turns into this like snowball effect where, um, th- that's the kind of thing that allows cult movies to become cult movies. Like Constantine, lots of people love Constantine now. And lots of people think it's an, like a genuinely legitimately amazing film. Um, I wouldn't say amazing, but but it has a, it has a cult following. Like it's a, it's a legitimately popular film now, I think. Uh, yeah. And the reason I think it wasn't legitimately popular to begin with is not only that it was bad, like it borrowed very little from the original comic book, Hellblazer, but Mm -hmm. I think it's because of this tension between genre, like, like critics, like shitting on comic books as a a genre and the fact that we didn't really know yet how to take the genre seriously. And so culturally, (laughs) we were in this position where we were, sorry, I have all these feelings. I'm so sorry. (laughs) No, no. No, we like feelings here. We, we, that's the whole point let them out and then, like and then the way that that keanu reeves operates within that is extra fascinating because he is like he's sort of like the the one figure who can move seamlessly between genres and still have an audience that comes to every genre you know like mm-hmm. he can bring audiences to uh to romantic comedy or to a drama or to a sci-fi film or to a fantasy like it doesn't matter um and very few actors can do that but he was also in this phase of, of his career, as you mentioned, that um, where he was being punished and a sort of seen essentially as like a um, much like the genres that he was in. He was sort of shamed just for being being there, you know, just for showing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of the the pushback against Constantine was also a pushback against Keanu Reeves himself. Um, do I even like this film? I think, I think <laughs> 
<laughs> I think it's a good film. I think it's um I think it does a lot right. My my biggest criticism is a, a lack of focus overall. Um, the storytelling is fun and it's often, as you said, like full of quips and it's got that very like nineties flavor, like where everything is like a, C- a CSI Miami dig, you know. <laughs> I like yes. that. I'm uh, all in on that. Yeah, completely. And it, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. And the writing is is quirky. Um, but plot-wise, it's a little all over the map. Um, but the, the, the characters are great. The, the performances are strong. Um, and the effects, as you mentioned, were fanta- fantastic. Like, I don't, I don't understand why. Well, I do understand. But, like, apart from all the genre shaming and apart from all of, like, the cultural, like, factors that went into the devaluation of this film at the time it was made, I don't think that it warrants its reputation. I don't at all either. And that's that's why I was so surprised is because everything I knew about it was that A, I had never seen it, which was wrong. Um, and B, <laughs> that everyone kind of universally thought it was a mediocre to bad movie. And I was watching it and I was like, why do people think this is such a bad movie? Right. Other than the fact that I feel like they were trying to fit too much lore and too much plot. And apparently the lore wasn't even based on the comic books. Like, mm. I get that. I don't think the story was focused. I think it had some weird tension breaks and some weird, you know, whatever. But I think that it was like, I had fun watching it. I would put this nowhere near, like I would put this higher than in the top 50% for sure of comic book movies that I've seen, including the new Marvel stuff, which oh, absolutely. I, would put it, you know, I would put it way ahead of most of the Marvel. Most films, of honestly. the Marvel stuff. I love the characters and I love the, you know, I think they've got, great actors doing them and whatever, but I think they just tried to tell too many stories at one time. Um, yeah. I would put this higher than several of the, the most recent Marvel movies. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Andrew. Oh boy. Let me tell you something. Mm-hmm. I love this movie okay. a lot. Yeah. I really do. This transported. So we have talked about this numerous times. I've, um, I'm wearing this out. I hadn't seen this since the theaters. And unlike Whitney, I remembered that I saw it in theaters. <laughs> I but also this... saw it in the theater. And I remember like my, my initial impression that I like, I even remembered that I saw it in February. Like that's how vivid. Yeah. I don't know why. Like I just remember seeing it in February and being like in this like almost empty theater being really, really like impressed with this film and then being really kind of under, like I didn't really get the, the critical panning, because I was like, I think I thought it was beautiful, you know, right? Beautiful and strange and fun. That is so. All of those adjectives, right? I mean, this it from the get, this movie transported me right back into that theater to the point where moments before a thing would happen on screen, I'm like, oh, is this the part where? And it <laughs> happened, and I was, I was like, this. I, why haven't I watched this movie since? Because I really, really, I remembered every kind of major set piece, whether they were big or small. Even like the, here's the new gear, right? All Even the little shuffling. Yeah. I'm like, is this where he gets the, the shotgun? Or it's like, <laughs> oh, this is so cool. Um, I, I tend to agree with a lot of what both of you said. I, I'll go into a little bit of minutia that I just, I, I really loved about, specifically about this movie. I'll start with, Asia, you blew my mind when you said that Francis Lawrence directed music videos. I think that if you take a director that has that pedigree of of they started in music videos and they transitioned to film, they can make films that look unlike other directors. Yeah. And it's they have this quality yeah. when they want to, right? So I'm thinking specifically about 
so if it's Francis Lawrence, I'm thinking also like David Fincher and Michael Bay, like, and not, not, not that they're comparable in, in any way, but like they do share this similar, like they can create this aesthetic that is single, it's like singly their aesthetic. And I love that. And I think he really did it in this movie. I'm like, this doesn't really look like much else. Uh, at least right. at that time, I'm sure things it seems like things have maybe aped this style now because um, there were a couple things I'm looking. I'm like, I mean, this is like a John Wick. Like I'm having like, these weird like crossover moments here with the like the dripping neon thing that's mm -hmm. going on here. But I really, really like that. The liberal use of slow motion to the point of stopping in this film was mm -hmm. fantastic. Mm -hmm. I love that mm -hmm. effect. Mm -hmm. That reminded me of something like I was like, oh, maybe this is where Chris Nolan got this idea for like Inception. Like when they're coming back up from limbo, everything's moving. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I, I love it. Um, I really like there, there, there are set pieces large and small in this movie, but mostly they're pretty small. Like they're resolved almost in an instant. And I really like that like, they just throw they throw away set pieces. It's so cool. Yeah. He's like, I have the solution. It doesn't. It didn't seem like we ran out of money. It seems like, oh, this dude knows what the hell he's doing. Like and he just that solves the problem. Keanu Reeves is being drugged on the floor and he gets heavier and heavier. That was yes. one of the most impressive parts of that movie to me because a, it looked so realistic, and a, it told so much story in a very very yes. short visual amount of time. That's and that's great. not one of the biggest scenes of the movie. It isn't like the big bug demon flying into pieces and getting hit by a van, but it is incredibly impressive and made me like stop when I was watching the movie and say, this is good filmmaking. Right. The part uh, I'm thinking specific. I'm thinking also of the part with the the, you know, the streetlights are shutting off one by one, which yep. is like, and very, there's like, like a very practical store with the. Yes. Yeah. It's so cool. And I was yeah. like, that's like the, the execution of that was like very, I just loved it from like a filmmaking point of view, no cars, lights are going off one at a time, closing in. And the solution is like, light this and it's, and it's over. That's it. <laughs> like, uh -huh. that's so cool. Um, um, I also have to say the costumer. Yeah. I don't know who the costumer was. I didn't look it up because I didn't want to get accidentally any trivia. Um, mm -hmm. But the costumer if, in this movie worked their ass off to tell the whole story in the costumes. And a lot yeah. of it is very, very subtle. The, the one that's not so subtle is Gabriel's outfit in the mental hospital that is, <laughs> is very like reminiscent of a straight jacket while still yeah. being very sort of otherworldly while also being super hot. Sure. Um, <laughs> it's all of those things. Yeah, it's all of those things at once. <laughs> And I'm very, very impressed with that particular outfit because of the ways that it so subtly like does the like tape down one side and the lacing chaps of the like straight jacket material over the white pants and all, just everything that was done there was very, very good. But then as I started to look back over the movie and through my memory, all of the, the characters had stuff that told the story in that same way and were very nuanced and detailed that you didn't even necessarily notice at the time. Um, yeah. The costumer did an incredible job in this movie. Sure. Uh, my, my last point is just about the characters. And this kind of plays into Keanu specifically. I think he did a great job at being like a real kind of like cynical asshole. I think for whatever reason... When he leans into that role, it works for him. Generally, he's like the nice guy. But when he 
needs to be, he can swing in the other direction, uh, which was really cool. The thing that I really liked most about this was any of the people that we saw as his in the in that ensemble, I would love to see a story about those people. And I'm sure that's called Hellblazer, right? And I, I, I <laughs> actually, might not, I might not actually, read that. Actually, it is but... not called Hellblazer because only one character from Hellblazer, basically, besides Keanu, besides Keanu's oh. character, was actually brought into. And I think that's um, Midnight, Jim Hoon's, uh his role. And I, I think okay. he was the only character who was actually kept from the the the, the series, and um, which is also a, another reason, of course, why fans were mad because they didn't really see much of Hellblazer. Like even the the look of, um, I don't know how much you know about Hellblazer, but in the original series, um, Constantine is blonde. He looks like Sting, and he has a like Columbo style <laughs> trench coat. Um, what? Yeah, and so of course, obviously, like Keanu, just physically even is like the total polar opposite so if you're right. looking at that thinking that this is going to be a faithful adaptation just from the casting alone you've got a lot of like doubt going in um i actually think that the decision to lose the trench coat was very smart just from a filmmaking right. perspective because i think that there's so much like like cultural baggage that we bring to like mm-hmm. a story about angels and a trench coat you know yeah <laughs> yeah um not even talking about wings of the desire because who's the wings of desire but like even just like that idea of like the what a faded guy in a trench coat says about like spirituality like that mm-hmm. sort of thing and i think that they did they did right to ditch that but um but that's also looking at the story like apart from its hellblazer roots and that's something that we hadn't figured out how to do yet i don't think um, in terms of analyzing comic book movies and and figuring out like what makes a comic movie good or bad, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah, and I think uh, and it, I just wanted to say that they did not actually um, bring any character at all <laughs> except for Midnight, um, who oh. I I really really loved the way that they that they um, brought him to the screen. I thought they did a really really fantastic job of, yes. with that character. I just loved his club. I loved his his aesthetic. I loved everything about him, and the acting was perfect. So I had no complaints there. But every other character is like basically just written for this movie. It felt it very felt. Neil Gaiman in in the in the moment <laughs> when oh, I was yeah. watching the movie. Yeah. I was like, this definitely this guy, the balance, the club, his outfit. Everything right. seems like something that would come out of a Neil Gaiman story. Yeah, like you can see the whole thing being like illustrated by Dave McKean, that kind of thing. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's an example. That's an, like, let's get a whole movie about that guy. Like, I would watch, I would go. Like, if that was the jump off point, you're like, now we're going to do a Papa Midnight movie. I'm like, I'll, I'm going. Yeah. We're going to we're hey. gonna do, what was Gabriel up to before this? <laughs> I'm watching that. I'm watching that movie. Like, uh-huh. that, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it, so... <laughs> Uh, I am a, curious if yeah. the the bug guy who, like, sources all of these w- weird and rare esoteric religious items for John uh, yeah. and likes the, the things that you flip over and they make the noise. <laughs> there was so much there to him that I felt like he might have been a character in the in the books at some point. Obviously, none of us is the crowd to be asking because we don't really have enough experience to say if that guy was a character in the comic books. But he just this sort of like hermity guy who lives in a bowling alley, who likes those little noisemakers, who likes bugs, who collects religious artifacts. It's super specific. So specific. And so (laughs) he felt so well-rounded that I was I I felt like he was a comic book character that was brought over, but I don't know if that's true or not. And I'd be curious to find that out because 
if that's something that was created in the screenwriting process, that's like someone's specific weird, like they thought it in a dream kind of a thing or something because it was so neat. Yeah, he was actually introduced in the film. I think he might have been, he might have become a character after, like they might have worked him into the comic after. Yeah, I think they did that probably like, I don't know, with maybe some other people like the the Shia LaBeouf character too. Um, Okay. But yeah, but he was, he was not, he was written, I believe he was written for the film anyway. Interesting. Wild. Maybe. Yeah. The only other thing I'll say, uh, and I agree with you for the most part about the CG in this film, except some of the demon faces didn't, I, for me, I was like, eh, but like the angel wings, holy shit, that held up great. <laughs> yeah. I love, yes. the, I love yeah. the way they looked and they only did it maybe two or three times in the whole thing, but I was like, this is really, really something else. Yeah, that was the, the main thing that I remembered about this movie was how gorgeous those wings were, like just over the years. Like I was, I thought about those a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I actually think some of that was practical, which is why it looks so good. Um, really? I, I think there was CG involved, but I think the main like big apparatus was real. That makes total sense because they looked great. Like I said, so. there was a lot of stuff. If it was CGI, whoever did the CGI on this should get a raise post whatever <laughs> because so little of the special effects from that time hold up in the way that some of this did, like the dragging him on the floor and he gets heavier and heavier and the tile folds up and whatever. I do think some of the faces looked, but that's because you always, as soon as you get faces involved, you get that uncanny valley thing and and we know what faces look like, whereas we don't know what tile floor floor folding up looks like. So Right. You've shown Uh, me something new, Francis Lawrence. Thank you. Yes. (laughs) And I think one thing that he probably did get uh, that he probably helped perfect as part of his craft as a, a video filmer, video producer, creator, um, director. Yeah, director. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm tired. I've had words. very little sleep and I've been like hungover. So uh, I think one it's thing nice. that he learned <laughs> um is the idea of making of keeping the aesthetic consistent throughout because a lot of times especially when you get um uh directors who are all about like set pieces like Jerry Bruckheimer for example um or or Michael Bay like you get these people who seem to be designing the scene for like the effect you know mm-hmm. um right. and not and not necessarily like designing the theme the 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 scene or the aesthetic of uh the production design to fit a mood and and um uh, and character psychology, essentially. Um, and Another one of those moments that worked in comic books so, so well was um, the sister falling through the glass, like falling from the roof, and we see her from under the water of the pool, but we yeah. don't yeah. know that we're under the water. And like watching how fall, far she falls without a cut and watching her go through the glass and then into the water all of that looked so real and you have no idea how far that like a stunt person actually fell. Did they fall through the glass? Did they fall through the glass into the pool? Like any one of those moments could have been not real, but the CGI holds up to the point where I was like, how much of that actually happened? Like how far did that, (laughs) did that body fall and how much did it fall through? And I was very impressed with that little moment that I felt like really put you in the story in a way that, like you're saying, like a lot of the the big Michael Bay set pieces are about how it's going to look and not what the story is. And I felt like that was very much about what the story was. Yeah, completely. And I think like whether you're in a, like a tight scene or like a 
like the bowling out constant sense of of pervasive not gloom so much just existential weariness that's mm-hmm. that sort of is consistent throughout the film um and i think it's just really good at, at conveying that with through all, all of its you know beautiful scene and uh, production design and so forth that's yeah. all no do we uh we, we all have lots of feelings about constantine and way more feelings than i positive. expected <laughs> <laughs> right you, they, you buried those as well with your memory of having seen it, and they're all just bursting out of you now. So, <laughs> uh, do we have anything else before we move into the the universe's per, per, perhaps the, the galaxy's the interstellar favorite? Game, favorite. The interstellar favorite. I, yeah. I, I don't. Uh, anything else? I no? think it's time. I'm very excited, Asia. You're back on the board here. Oh no! Uh, let's 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 kick things off with the with the way we always do. Have have Keanu take us there. Pop quiz, asshole. There was a time when I had the need to learn from you. Oh, what the hell do you know? Lose? I don't lose. I win. She's got a lot to learn about sportsmanship. Oh my goodness. Pop quiz assholes are very own quizzo show where the host, in this case, me, Andrew, asks the contestants each three questions worth a point. If one of them gets it wrong, the other player has a chance to steal. The host, in this case, me, may also add bonus questions worth a point value of my choosing. This movie, unsurprisingly, had a shitload of <laughs> trivia. I bet it did. <laughs> the current scores, and oh, God, I can't, I don't even want to talk about it. Whitney. Has 92 <laughs> points. Evan has 51 points. I have 56 points. If my calculation was correct from the watcher, I believe Asia has four points. <laughs> and after this episode, we can create an average and then multiply that by everything and figure out where she falls. It's probably much higher than Evan and I, if we, you know, if that's to be expe- <laughs> Well, it's probably uh, higher than Evan. <laughs> Yeah, we'll that, that, he's, he's not here to defend himself. So right, and it it tracks too. So there you go. All right, Asia, you are our guest. So if if you, I would love for you to go first, if that's okay. Sure. Lay it on. All right. Keanu Reeves bought which of the following props to give as a gift to director Francis Lawrence? Okay. Ooh. Was it the Spear of Destiny, the Holy Shotgun? Or the golden knuckles. Oh man, those are all so good. They're right. all so good. I think he'd go with the golden knuckles. I'm uh, sorry, that is incorrect. Which is the spear of destiny? Uh, I can't. I'm gonna have oh, Whitney might I have a chance to steal. To steal. Okay, I, I want to be fair. So Whitney, do you have a guess here? I would, if I were gonna get one of the prop pieces, it would be that gun, the holy gun. Because that was a hell of a thing. <laughs> yeah. He got him thing. the holy shotgun. Holy mackerel. What a weapon. Am yeah. I right? Yeah. 
Yeah. That was super cool. That's the most unique out of those props, I think. I feel like the Spear of Destiny is something that you could see in like an Indiana Jones or something like that. And yeah, the, I love the golden knuckles with the, the cross. The brass knuckles are amazing. <laughs> like if I if I were going to just wear something from the movie, it would probably be the brass knuckles with the cross. Just them. around town. Yeah, you know, no, it's just a Friday. Like out, whatever. out and about. Yeah, just, uh, you know, I'm out to a party, put on my brass knuckles with crosses on them. Um, <laughs> Start punching. It's yeah, fine. but I think the thing that stood out most as unique and iconic was the gun. Oh, yeah. the That's crazy. All right, Whitney, I got a I got a bat shit crazy question for you. Oh, you no. Okay. Here we go. Casting. Uh-huh. Which of the following actors was not considered for this role of John okay, Constantine? So two of the ones that you're going to mention were considered. One was Yes, not. very close. All right. Okay. <laughs> Nicholas Cage. Oh. Mads, Mik- Mads Mikkelsen. Oh. Mel Gibson. What? <laughs> Godspeed. Godspeed. I'm only going to say this based on timeline, not based on who I would like to see in this. But okay. Mads Mikkelsen, the age of Mads Mikkelsen has been more recent, I feel like, than this movie. So I'm going to say Mads Mikkelsen. Mel Gibson would have made this a terrible movie. Oh, my God. <laughs> But don't you want to see the alternate universe where Tarsim Singh directs Nick Cage in this film? Right. How wackadoo would that be? It's nuts. I would watch that. I feel like that would go somewhere more along the lines of like, not necessarily Mandy, but kind of in that realm. I would watch it. I think it would be a very different movie. I think it could be word for word identical and be so different. (laughs) <laughs> you couldn't pay me to watch Mel Gibson in that movie. <laughs> nope. That's the that's the one that everyone seems to remember. They forgot there was Keanu Reeves and it's a good movie. They think it was the Mel Gibson version <laughs> in their mem- in their memory. It's weird. All right, Asia. Here's I'm going to tell you that I pulled this one right from uh, IMDb. I did not independently check this, so. <laughs> I won't know it. I won't know it. So it's fine. (laughs) We'll see. It's an interesting one nonetheless. During the course of the film, how many times do we see Constantine smoke a cigarette? Is it 7, 22, or 13? 13. I didn't even have my finger on the button (laughs) and you got it. I couldn't even figure out what to do. Well done. Yeah, no, I think I knew that. I think because I um, I had seen some sort of trivia from somewhere, but not on IMDb, so I don't know how I knew this. But, like, um, there was, like, a fan theory that, that they did that deliberately because of 13 being, like, a neurologically significant uh, plot yeah. thing. Um, that's how I knew that. So, yeah. My <laughs> guess would have been 22 because that's closer <laughs> to a pack size. And I would have figured they yeah. bought a pack of cigarettes, and then when they were done, they were done. That would have been my guess. <laughs> There were some really cool things throughout this film with the numerology and numbers yeah. and stuff. Like the logo of the bowling alley was very clearly yeah, a like play 666. on 666. Yeah, yeah it was mm-hmm. it was really, really neat. And like you said, they lay- in trivia, they layered a lot in, which was cool. There's like a whole subtext that I did not get until I started it's doing my research. It's kind of like watching The Good Place for the puns in the background, but it's with <laughs> right. like weird religious significance 
happening yeah. in the background yeah. of this movie at all times that I, I enjoyed quite a bit. Right. It's that kind of texture that, that, you know, keeps people coming back and wanting to rewatch it, you know? And also that's the sort of thing that gets movies. They're like mythological, like they're mythos, you know? Yeah. It's great. It's great. All right, Whitney. The original script had Hell depicted as a black void with a floor covered in oil, but was then changed to a visual Francis Lawrence much preferred. So the version of Hell we see is based off of what? The inside of a blast furnace, a nuclear bomb detonation, or a firestorm that Francis Lawrence witnessed as a child? Whoa. Oh, that's a good question. Um, To me, it looked like what we see in movies. I obviously don't know this firsthand, but like a nuclear detonation, the way that things were kind of dissolving. So I'm going to say that more so than Blast Furnace, but it might be that last one. But I'm going to go with nuclear detonation. Go with your gut. My goodness. This is why she has, well, (laughs) it was 91 or whatever the hell she had. It's not anymore. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. He was like, no, we can't do this. We're going to go with this nuclear bomb thing. It looks a lot better. And I tend to agree. I I thought it looked great. Yeah. They kept the black drippy stuff because you see with Satan at the end that that I was essentially that, the, like what star the f- on yeah. his feet. I loved that. That was so like simple but heavy with symbolism in so many <laughs> yeah. different ways, and it yeah. just also just looked creepy. It was so good. All right, Asia, this is going to rely on your your knowledge of comic book movies, but you seem oh, to no. be pretty. You seem <laughs> to be pretty good at this. So here we go. The Spear of Destiny prop from this film was the exact same one used in this 2004 Dark Horse Comics movie, also about demons. You just have to name it. I cannot give you multiple choices. It's too straightforward. 2004 Dark Horse Comic movie, also about demons. Oh, shit. Uh, What came out in 2004? Of course. Oh my god. Oh, um, Demons. 2004 Dark Horse. It wouldn't, um, that wouldn't have been like, um, Demons. Oh shit. I don't think I know this. I don't think I know this. Demons. Right. I'm, I'm so right. sad not to know a thing about Demons. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to unfortunately hit yeah, that. No, no, Whitney, go, go for it. Are you gonna? St- what is Hellboy? That's oh the God, one. Say Hellboy. <laughs> you gotta go for it, Asia. You yeah, gotta go for I was it. Like, is it the Ron Perlman movie with the help with the the horns? And then I was like, that's uh-huh. not. I would have accepted that. Oh I would have accepted that. Yeah, I it's think that's, the exact that's, same prop. That's very literally. clear. Oh my God, uh, <laughs> that you knew the answer if you had said the Ron Perlman movie with the horns. I literally was like, is it the Ron Perlman movie? And I was like, don't <laughs> say that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you should have, because everyone would have given it to you. Everyone would have been like, no, Asia knows what movie it is. Right. It's fine. The it's a slip. Why, the reason why is because I was at my piano bar last night getting drunk. <laughs> <laughs> like you do. And the gay guy next to me, like, develops this instant crush on this guy who he swears is a young Ron Perlman. And he, and he goes, and we're like trying, and I, he's trying to describe the guy that he's seeing across the room to me. And he keeps yeah. trying to describe a young Ron Perlman. And the whole time, I'm like, 
I think we have very different images of media. <laughs> 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 I think you have the wrong uh-huh. person in mind. I don't know. Well, my immediate thought was, Asia, you just thought of that because the gay guy at the bar last night had a huge crush on Rob Perlman. Don't be <laughs> No, no. It's serendipity is what it is. Uh, so. Serendipity if I just said it. <laughs> all right. That's okay. We All right. So Whitney, here we go. <laughs> Peter Stormare. Okay. Hmm? Who turned in one of the best Satan performances I've ever seen, uh-huh. in my opinion. Uh-huh. Originally auditioned for which role? Was it Father Hennessy, Midnight, or Balthazar? Mm. Balthazar seems like Peter Stormare knows his strengths. So I feel like he's always kind of gone for this spooky guy or the bad guy. Balthazar is my gut, but I would, he would be a good, uh, top of midnight. Uh, I'm gonna say Balthazar. God, deductive reasoning wins the day. <laughs> good lord. <laughs> you see, you see what I'm dealing with here, Asia? This is why the points is so, it's so, it's not even fair. Oh, you snooze, you right. no, it's not you snooze, you lose, because you don't get to, like, buzz in if you know the answer. Yeah. No. Maybe right. you should rethink your system. <laughs> That's really it may like make it more well, jeopardy based. Honestly, yeah. if it was speed based, I would never win because you, <laughs> I always take the time to like say out my thought process out loud. Mm. So I'm like thinking it through as I do it. I would never be the first one to buzz in because I would be like, no, who the I hell knows? That I, I would just assume that I'm and wrong then, and then psych myself out. So <laughs> instead, I'm like, wait. The, the age of Mads Mikkelsen wasn't until like three years ago, so he can't be the one. You know, that's how I go. It's never going to be an immediate buzzer hit. All right. <laughs> All right. So as I as I promised, we have some bonus questions here. And these are uh, these are all multiple choice. OK. Mm-hmm. And you can both give me an answer. And if you're right, you're right. If you're wrong, you're wrong. So just uh, you'll both have the opportunity and you mo- you both might get points. So here we go. According to the director's commentary on the DVD, the rag that Constantine lights on fire to defeat the flying demons is a piece of what? Is it Jesus' cloak, Moses' shroud, or the vestments of St. Peter? Okay, Jesus doesn't have a cloak. He has a shroud, (laughs) so that one's out. I'm gonna go with St. Peter. Okay, and then Asia? I would also go with St. Peter. Okay. Well. Mm. Uh, <laughs> it was Moses' shroud, Moses. apparently. Uh, how does, okay. does Moses even have a shroud? I, I didn't know, know Moses had a shroud. The only shroud I'm familiar with is Jesus' shroud. Yeah, so. the shroud of Turin. Yeah. Right. I don't know, but that's what that's what they said. So they so just I'm made it going... up. Whatever. <laughs> it's all made up. <laughs> I mean... I would believe any of the like that in the director's mind, he's like, oh, the the guy who gets all the relics could get any relic. So, you know, it's pretty easy to go through and just be like, um, that's Moses' shroud. Right. Just get the just get the piece of cloth of any, you know, anyone from the Bible. Let's do it. Let's do it. (laughs) All right. Here's a fun one. The holy water hand grenades were actually just what were they? miniature evaporating flasks? Were they travel-sized vodka bottles? Or were they Christmas ornaments? 
Christmas ornaments. Okay. I hope they were travel size vodka bottles. <laughs> so we're gonna go. All right. Okay, I can uh, I can go ahead and say that this one is for Whitney. Yep. <laughs> Christmas ornaments. They were like, just little I specifically bubbles. remember them being round and like rolling on the table when he set them down. Yeah, yeah. I was like, they're definitely Christmas ornaments, but I'm just going to go with the vodka bottles because <laughs> <laughs> because that's what I want. It would be more fun if they looked like airplane little vodkas. That would be yeah. more fun and I would appreciate that. But I specifically remember them rolling on the table and I was like, what kind of container is that? Okay. All right. Got this last one here. This one blew my mind, and I hope it's true, because it's crazy. But here we go. The character of John Constantine was originally created by which prolific comic book writer? Was it Frank Miller, Alan Moore, or Warren Ellis? It was Alan Moore. I believe. That's my guess. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. my guess, too. Yay. Nailed it. Nailed it. He did not take credit for it. He was not. Uh, there's a there's a whole story there worth checking out. It's like a long, long paragraph on the IMDb trivia about Alan Moore. I recommend it. It's worth a read. Dude is crazy. <laughs> all right. So given all that. Oh, my God. What's happening with these points, Whitney? She did it. I can't believe it. We've reached a very momentous <gasps> the trip occasion. Ditch? Oh, my God. She's in triple digits, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Whitney, Whitney moves up Woo. to 101 points. <laughs> Congratulations. <Jeez>. Thank you. <laughs> I have as many points as there are, are Dalmatians. I <laughs> for the first movie, at least, for the first one. I really wish, oh, man, I was hoping you would get, like, one more so then we can literally say you're twice as many points as Evan. That'd be pretty cool. <laughs> uh, anyway. We'll work uh, on it next time. And Asia racked up three for this round. Oh, my God. Three. So now what we're going to do, now what we're going to do is I'll... I'll do the math. I'll f I'll fill it in. I'll say you know standard some standard deviations, but mm -hmm. I think I think it's enough to give me what your overall score might be had you been with us from the beginning. I do so. think it's going to be higher than Evans or yours, Andrew. Oh, I, I really think I, it is. I don't like it. I don't. But I'll do it. <laughs> Ron Perlman. Ron Perlman. My downfall. Shake your fists at the sky. <sighs> All right. Uh, are we ready to get into this thing? Yeah, I have a pretty decent, uh, a pretty decent overview of this movie. I think it's a little bit of the Wikipedia, but I organized it better. So. I definitely think that if you're interested more so than listening to us talk about what happens in the movie, go watch the movie because it is highly worth watching and it's so much more visual. Yeah, definitely do that, and then skip to. You know, insert time here. I'm not going to do that, but skip to the time when we just recommend and talk about our rankings and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. that'll be a good time. But uh, so this movie opens in the Mexican countryside. We have a scavenger named Manuel. He finds this spearhead wrapped in a Nazi flag in some ruins. Mm -hmm. Cool, cool little fun fact. They I like that. that. They destroyed that Nazi flag immediately. I thought that was awesome. Like That's as soon as great. they were finished That's filming great. that scene, they set it on fire. They I were like, it. nope, we're done with this garbage. <laughs> it was just a prop. Fuck this. But I also right. liked that, that like the last time the world saw that kind of evil, like it's such a, again, a very visual and instantaneous way to say, yeah, this is exactly the last time the world saw this thing was right. when Nazis had it. Yeah. 
I think it's great. So this, uh, this spearhead is later revealed to be the Spear of Destiny, right? Manuel becomes possessed. He destroys a car with his body, which was really, really cool to see. <laughs> car just wraps around him. It's mm-hmm. awesome. And then he begins traveling to the United States. So cut to Los Angeles. We have our, our hero here, John Constantine. He is exercising a, a little girl. He's possessed by this demon He's, that is trying to break through to Earth. And apparently this should not be possible because there's this standing wager where there's no direct interference from God <laughs> or Satan, which is really cool. Um, and this is that wager is for the all of mankind's souls. All right. Meanwhile, we see John Constantine's driver and apprentice, Chaz Kramer. He's waiting in the car because he doesn't think he's ready to exercise demons yet. But he little does he know. He doesn't even look old enough to drive a car yet. <laughs> he really does. He does little, certainly little look. Little baby face is Shia LaBeouf. Yeah, definitely 13. He's just a little nugget. (laughs) So uh, elsewhere, we're not too sure where a woman named Isabel Dodson uh, commits suicide off in a psychiatric hospital. Right. She jumps off the roof. As Whitney said, there's this really kind of amazingly shot scene off the, you know, this person falling off this hospital. Her twin sister, Detective Angela Dodson, somehow senses this happen in a dream and awakes with a jolt. We don't know. We, we you, you don't know up top if that was a dream she had about herself, or if you know yeah, the situation that I explained. But yeah, for the sake of brevity, <laughs> we come to learn that she has a twin, but we don't know right. if it's just. We a think dream. it's her. It all looks like Rachel. It's crazy. <laughs> we then see Constantine looking at some X-rays in a hospital, which is never good when our main character is doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Never good. He receives a lung cancer diagnosis, to which he responds by lighting up a cigarette, which is great. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, we see Detective Dodson looking at her sister in the morgue, refusing to believe that her sister, who she has described multiple times throughout the film as a devout Catholic, would kill herself. As she's leaving the hospital, we see Constantine refuses to hold the elevator to let her get on. So this is our chance encounter number one with these two. Uh, we get a quick weapons montage with a character named Beeman, who Whitney loves. Who, I do. <laughs> I talked about him way. a lot. Yeah, I also like hopefully... that his name is Beeman. I didn't know that, but that's funny because he likes bugs. Yeah, it's cool. And hopefully that guy made it into the comics somehow. Uh, he works and lives in a bowling alley, which is right below Constantine's apartment. Cool. Uh, I should note that Take Five by the Dave Brubeck Quartet is underscoring this scene, and it's extremely, <laughs> it's extremely fucking cool. It it's like one of the coolest things I've ever good. seen. <laughs> it is very good. I yeah. didn't Cut. notice most of the score. Like, it was very yeah. good, but it was very subtle for the most part for me. Like, there was never a point where I was like, oh, shit, this is rocking, except for that moment where I was like, hell yes. <laughs> what Listener. is happening? Listener, I would normally not do this. If you're listening right now, just pause the podcast, <laughs> go to your streaming platform, pop on Take 5 by the Dave Brubeck Quartet, jam out. Then come on back. Jam it's out. It's going to be great. Yeah. Uh, Constantine <laughs> then goes to me. <laughs> he goes to meet with the half angel. If as that, I think that's what we're, the half angel Gabriel, right? Played uh, amazingly by Tilda Swinton. This is awesome. He asks Gabriel for a reprieve because based on this information he's got, uh, so he can hang around for a little bit longer, maybe fight some more demons, try to build up some more karma points, stuff like that. Gabriel declines, telling Constantine that he has to exercise, that he 
only exercises demons for selfish selfish reasons and cannot buy his way into heaven. I love this interaction that the two of them had. Love it. And that where, last little bit where Tilda Swinton leans in and says, you're going to die young because you smoked 30 packs a day or whatever, yeah. 30 cigarettes a day. And you're going to go to hell because of the life you took. Sorry. Right. That's the way it is. Little foreshadowing. We're like, Wait, what life? What yeah. is it? What yeah. do you do? Love it. So uh, parallel to this, in the same exact church where Constantine is meeting Gabriel, Detective Dodson is here. And her visit is to plead with uh, a priest about getting her sister a Catholic burial. And she's refused this because that suicide, you're disqualified, right? Mm -hmm. So you're like, oh, okay. You, it's kind of cool. They both walk into the church and you think they're both going to see the same person, but then they break off into two totally different conversations. It's real fun. Mm -hmm. Like that world within the world or beneath the world, rather. So they both uh, exit the church at the same time, having their requests denied. Constantine goes for a walk. He leaves Chaz behind, who had presumably driven him there. And that's how Angela finds out his name. He's yelling, Constantine! She's like, okay, Constantine, I'm a detective. I'll remember that. Good. <laughs> Constantine is then assaulted by a demon made of various bugs <laughs> right in the middle of a street. This was like the... the and crustaceans. And crustaceans. Yeah, crabs <laughs> That's for true. some Cra reason. He does kick a crab in a hilarious <laughs> fashion. It was really, really funny. Um... This was, yeah. I think, the most comic booky scene in the whole movie. For sure. Like, and there's the, a this lot is of what stuff didn't that, hold up CG that, for me. Yeah, that looked uh, very sort of graphic novel-y. There was a lot of nods to stuff, but this felt the most like a comic book movie was when there was the, the demon made out of bugs and the way that it swarmed and the way that it got hit by the van. And that's how it was, like, quote-unquote, defeated. Um, yeah. It all felt very silly comic booky to me, but everything else, <laughs> that's the only time that I felt that. I will say I liked the CG when they were a swarm, but when it came together and it had a face, I was like, Ugh, not so much. But the swarm <laughs> looked great. Like I was like, they did a really good job with a swarm of crustaceans and bugs. Real, real on point. So uh, at this point, Constantine goes to visit <laughs> a fella. Excuse me. Sorry. Oh, no problem. Uh, he goes to visit a, uh, a fellow named Papa Midnight, and this person is a, I want to say like a shaman or a witch doctor. We don't, I don't know if it's. He, he says he used to be a witch doctor. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. So yeah. And you kind of get that vibe. He goes into this place. You're like, great. I love this whole club situation. It's, so like it's the like whole, this. Like purple velvet. Dark yeah. Red. It's like an underground speakeasy, speakeasy from the seventies with a like. Yeah. Uh, with like a Caribbean <laughs> vibe or something. Yeah. Yeah. And we find out that this is like a a neutral ground, right? Where the half-breeds don't have to hide who they are. They could just be themselves. This also gave me like slight like slight tinges of the Continental from John Wick. Like yep. we don't do business here. I yep. love that. It's so cool. So Constantine is admitted into the club via a pretty wild test of like, guess which card? I love that too. Just like he holds up a card. He's like bird on a ladder or whatever. Uh, real cool. <laughs> it's like rat in a dress or something. Is that <laughs> <it>? <laughs> yeah, there, yeah, there were a couple throughout. It was really, really, I loved it. It was great. So uh, Midnight doesn't believe. Constantine tells him, look, I was just attacked in the middle of the street by a demon. And Midnight's like, nah, that's not true. 
<laughs> Constantine, you know, he just, just brushes him off. Constantine leaves, and uh, on his way out, we meet Balthazar, played by the lead singer of Bush. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and they ex- it's funny because it's true. <laughs> He's not very good in this movie, was he? I don't he know. Is the, I, the weakest part of this movie. Yeah, which is sad because it could have been a cool. It could have been a cool role for somebody with a little bit more experience. So uh, they exchange some words. It's very clear they don't like each other at all. Uh, but again, no business can be conducted here. So Constantine bounces. We're watching security footage uh, of Isabel's suicide. We see that this is Angela sitting in front of her computer, just pouring over it. And in one pass, we get this uh, really weird take where. Isabel turns around and says Constantine's name, and then we go back, it's gone. But, you know, Constantine, I remember that. He's the guy from here and the guy from here. So Angela finds him and asks him to help investigate. He turns her down, but soon after they are attacked by all these crazy winged demons and one of the really cool set pieces of this film. And Constantine's like, I don't think they were after me. So he agrees to help. Constantine, um... He then briefly transports himself to hell by ruining his shoes and smushing the face of a very nice cat. <laughs> this was, I just thought this was great. It's like, you get the bowl. It's like, get the thing you use for a turkey. It kind of, yeah, I need that. Fill that with water so I can put my shoes in it. Um, so once he's there, he, um, he sees Isabel is in hell and she is constantly reliving her suicide. So... And at that point, we also learn a little bit about... So after that transpires, uh, he's like, I need to eat. And then we learn a little bit about Constantine. And this is told through flashback. So really do, kind of a... I do want to oh. just interrupt real quick before we get too much into the, the Constantine flashback stuff. Sure. The sister suicide is by far the most muddied part of the plot for me. Um, because the whole time she's like, my sister would never in a million years kill herself over and over again, but she's in hell, which means she did kill herself. Mm -hmm. She's reliving the suicide over and over again. So it means that like, she didn't want to be killing herself. I just feel like they didn't, they tried to put too much information there and didn't follow up on enough of it. They kind of brush it a little bit when Constantine mentioned something about psychiatric care and how it made everything worse. Um, yes. But I, I just think that this is too, like, for example, the IMDb plot synopsis says to prove that her sister didn't kill herself. And it's like, well, but she did kill herself. Um, I feel like this was the part that was the most bartering for her soul at the end was like a whole other thing. And I, I felt like that was everywhere that the sister got involved was where the plot was like getting away from itself. Hmm. I feel like all the stuff that Constantine was doing and the like A to B to C of of solving a, a mystery, you know, like a pulp detective thing was yeah. all made sense and all flowed well and was all made sense to me. But the second that the sister and whether she was in hell or not and whether it was suicide or not and, and who compelled her to jump and all of that, I feel like that's every time that she was involved. That's when they lost focus on what they were doing and it got a little bit like wibbly. Yeah, I think that's what I part of what I meant about the the lack of focus. But I think that that part actually deserved more focus, like a more more thematic focus. I feel like the whole point of of 
you know, the the sort of existential weariness that does hang over the entire movie yep. is the the fact that you can read all of this as a stand-in, like a metaphorical stand-in for for therapy, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, 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 yeah. And honestly, like and and um the way that the characters interact with each other, the way they interact with the notion of death and spirituality and the afterlife, um the the to me the whole plot with the sister the whole the whole point was the fact that she actually killed herself and the fact yeah. that there are some things in this urban fantasy world that that still correspond to the the harshness of reality you know yeah um, but yeah. I feel like the fact that they were so invested in in making it a quote unquote comic book movie you know um, yeah. that they took it away from that that, that yeah. storyline yeah exactly helped that theme get away from them yeah that honestly probably would have undone a lot of people's problem i i don't know that that sounds great to me i got chills when i was thinking about that movie <laughs> really i did well I that, would... that goes to the overall critique a lot of people have with this film which is yeah something we can say to the end which is that it should never have been tied to hellblazers to begin with it should have been an urban fantasy um like a dark urban fantasy looking at like the you know this care this original character yeah. basically mm -hmm. you know because most it's of the like characters a, a mystical original anyway. realism philosophical yeah. I think it should have stood on its own. I mean, like like Sandman or Neil Gaiman, honestly. Well, not Sandman as a comic, but <laughs> but, <Yeah. laughs> but that, basically yeah. that that type of urban fantasy, just like we were talking about earlier, like the um, which was very very popular, at least in terms of like like uh, young adult novels back in the the era of this film, mm -hmm. um, and which still is if you're Whitney. <laughs> also, might have been a reason they wouldn't want to do it. Like they might not have wanted to like be seen as as like a team. Um, yeah, or like trying to do um or like a I don't know, like an adult Harry Potter or something, you know, like yeah. that. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Man, I really want that movie. All right. <laughs> so, uh we we learn she's in hell for in, in I'm going with my new headcanon thanks to Asia. And she actually did kill herself. And well, she we didn't, didn't kill never, herself. They say that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He said she him, killed without, herself. Here's proof. Yeah. Without influence or anything like that. So um, then we learn about Constantine. And this is told through flashbacks um, of him as a kid. So he explains that since he was little, he could see half breeds. So he could see basically demons and angels in the world. And after many failed psychiatric treatments, the, his parents were just super concerned that, you know, they gave him shock therapy, probably medicated the hell out of him. And that's when he and, said it made that made it worse. Right. And that made it even worse. So his solution, you know, common theme, he committed suicide and uh, he was he was dead for two minutes and technically in hell because of it. But they were able to revive him. Uh, but because he already did it. It's a mortal sin. Uh, he is still contemned, condemned to go to hell once he dies again. So after all this, the two decide to press forward. Uh, they examine Isabel's room in the hospital try to, to try to find a clue pointing to this uh, prophecy in a satanic Bible that Lucifer's son, uh, Maman, oh wait, sorry, tripped over my own words there. They're examining these clues in Isabel's room in the hospital, all right? They find one, and this points to a prophecy in the Satanic Bible, all right, that Lucifer's son, Maman, 
will attempt to claim Earth as his own kingdom. Pretty, uh, pretty sneaky, just going right around Dad there. Uh, to do so, Maman requires uh, both a powerful psychic, all right, and the assistance of God, which seems unlikely. And uh, everyone's already... like, what? <laughs> it's like, oh, but wait, there's more. Uh, Angela tells Constantine that Isabel, all right, was both a clairvoyant and a psychic, all right? And that's why she was committed by her parents. So Angela apparently had the same gift, right? It might be a twin thing, but she suppressed it. She ignored that. She didn't explore it any further. So uh, I also thought that it was interesting that if you don't use it, you lose it in this world. I liked that a lot. Yeah. Like it, if you it ignore atrophies. it and you say it's not real and you pretend it's not real and you, you know, work so hard to suppress it, you don't see it anymore. I thought that was interesting. That's like a common paranormal trope, though, that like yeah. kids that like kids can only see this stuff when they're younger and then they lose the ability as they get older. Yeah. Yeah. But apparently there is a way to jumpstart it, which we see because Angela's <laughs> like, hey, you got to hook me back up, Constantine. What do we got to do? And apparently... It is like a, a near-death experience will get you there. So she lays down in the tub. It's not the first time we've seen Rachel Weiss and Keanu Reeves in a tub together. Great. We talked about that. <laughs> a chain reaction yeah. for anyone curious. Yeah, that was uh, in uh, Pop Quiz Asshole for Chain yeah, Reaction. I, I never forgot it. It's great. Uh, really cool slow-mo here. She goes under the water. He puts his hand on her chest. This was some and... of the best acting that I have ever seen from Rachel yes. Weiss. When was, she goes from being like, is it going to happen bored? to yeah. now I'm bored. It's been too long and nothing's happening to I should try and get up now to trying to get up and Keanu not letting her to. Yes. He's going to kill me. The it's, look on her face it happens in such a short amount of time. But she goes through very clearly each one of those emotions in that very short amount of time. And she's under the water for all of it. And I was like, yeah. that is was crazy acting on her part because you see every single stage of emotion that she goes through, like it, she was saying it. It's so, so overt. Um, yeah. And to be under the water and emoting like that is very impressive to me. Totally, totally. Uh, this kickstarts things, right? As, as expected, uh, she immediately finds a clue that ties Balthazar into this whole kind of plot here, which we knew this guy was going to come back. It's fine. So Constantine uh, interrogates Balthazar, who reveals that Maman has the spear stained with the blood of Christ. Boom! That's our assistance from God. Angela, now the psychic in place of Isabel, is abducted by an invisible entity. And this was super cool, too. Because she's like, oh, I kind of feel weird. And then pulled through 400 walls. It was really, really neat. I like that. I like that a lot. So Constantine's pissed about all this. He's like, look, I don't know what the hell's going on. I got to. He breaks into Papa Midnight's club. He punches the bouncer in the face. It was very, very funny. Blows the door open. He's like, look, man, demons are breaking the wager. We got to do something. And uh, he eventually convinces Midnight to help him out. Uh, Constantine finds out how the spear was found and Angela's location. I just want to say, I just want to say Keanu is great in that scene. Like, like I was really, really impressed at how he managed to be like Keanu-y, but also really like, um, what's the word I want to use? Um, just really animated and earnest without, uh, 
coming across as I think a lot of actors would in that scene, which is very over the top. And um, I, that is his what we're finding uh, watching all of his movies chronologically is those moments when he is earnest without being naive are his yeah. best performances when he does this like all in Completely. animated like earnestness and very much like this is coming from very deep inside him but it it there's never any naivete to it even when his character is supposed to be naive that right. really sells the earnestness in a way that like other actors don't do as as well and and that's like where he really shines and sometimes it's, it's very brief fleeting moments like i think in this movie in this scene the earnestness he's not like that he's so jaded and cynical in the rest of it that it's never like I earnestly 100% believe what's happening right now and I'm in it. And I I think that he is kind of earnest throughout it though, because he's cynical, but he's also sort of poetic. Like even just when he's describing, yeah, like he's describing and that's part of the script too. But like uh, the diner scene, when he's describing all this to Rachel Rice and he's telling or excuse me, Rachel Vice. Sorry, Rachel Vice. Um, (laughs) God damn it. (laughs) We do know that she listens to this podcast, so it's a good thing you apologize. Sorry, Rachel. It's a good thing you like complimented her acting like a whole bunch of this. Profusely, yes. Um, uh, but yeah, like he's just—it's very poetic and very um, impassioned without being um, like overblown or like it's—it's yeah. like, it's, um, it's still weary. It's still world weary, but it's also sincere, you know, which I think is really a difficult balance to get right, and I think he gets it. He he walks that line, I think, for most of this film, to me, anyway. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the uh, he does track down the spear and Angela's location. They're actually one in the same. Uh, they do that by using the electric chair that was removed from Sing Sing at one point. Mm-hmm. Really cool. Constantine, uh, he arms himself uh, with many, many uh, instruments, instrumentations, and he goes to the hospital. He, brings he finally along. lets Chaz come because while they're making the bullets, he's the only person there who knows anything that's going on as far as like this, the history of the thing or yeah. the, the people that they're up against, the like type of demon and what they're vulnerable to. And I just loved it because it was so it was so such a just genuine moment that I love anytime it happens when like the the naive kid who's passionate has done all the research because they're not let into the gang and yep. then they're the one that pulls it out. I love that anytime it happens. <laughs> um, but it just, it was a very satisfying moment in this one. So Chaz gets to come because he knows how, how what these demons are weak to and how to defeat them. That it was, it was a cool idea. And I really, in that scene, I really loved Papa Midnight because yep. the focus is on Constantine, but yep. Papa Midnight's kind of just a little out of focus he over steals his shoulder. The scene yes. a little bit right in that one shot it's where so he's like, oh, it's great. Oh, look at this kid. Yeah, I just he's loved like, his whole performance. I absolutely loved uh, I mean, Jamon Hussu's whole, whole performance. It was great. He's yeah. great in everything that he's ever done. He's yeah. a, a very powerful presence. Right. It's the it's I mean, like, it's certainly the, partly that voice. But, oh, man, he just you see him on screen. You're like, yep, I'm listening like, to whatever this guy he has doesn't to say. even need to move. And he's just got <laughs> like this gravity that pulls the actors that are in the scene with him to him. It's just really yeah. it's it's something that you can feel what he would be like to be in the same room with by watching other people be in the same room with him. Yeah. Yeah. So Chaz's idea was, of course, to 
have this uh, crucifix. There, there are cross. two crosses in the world yeah. that can make holy water without a priest present. Right. Like the and blessing like, on them is so strong that it'll bless whatever water it touches. He's like, let's put this in the hospital reservoir and then set off the fire alarm and psh, done. And it's great. It really truly is like, oh, this is that's ingenious. Mm-hmm. Well done, Chaz. So the two fight their way through an army of all these half demons. Go ahead. Yeah. The woman demon who turns around and says, <laughs> holy water, who is she? I don't know. She's Do- an actress. She's like, oh, you recognize she's her. like yeah, she's been in something. In she's like, she's like a knowable name, but I didn't watch the credits because I didn't want to spoil anything for trivia. And I didn't know if anyone else recognized her. She's literally like a, tiny bit part actress who's on screen for a half of a second and says holy water and then is gone but that's, she's a that's person how she got her sag card that's it that was her line now she's maybe in SAG and that- anyway <laughs> hit me up on twitter if you know who that was because she was she's wildly recognizable but i cannot think of anything she's been in or what her name is all right cool I, i'll just check that out too i i didn't miss, i was like oh it's just a fun there's like a fun lead up to what happens next so the, uh, the two fight their way through all of these half-demons, and Chaz actually saves Constantine after he runs out of ammo. It was really cool. You're like, oh, this is going to be a great partnership with these two. Should have seen it coming. Anyway, uh, they eventually make their way into the same pool that we've seen throughout this movie. It's this really cool cross-shaped pool. It's where her sister uh, fell into. Uh, and they begin to exercise Angela. We see that she is at first the demon herself, and then the exorcism seems to work. And then, like in the beginning of the movie, now this demon is just like, I'm just going to come out through your stomach, if that's cool. Uh, so they perform this exorcism again. And it seems to work once again. At this point, something very sad happens to Chaz. He is uh, about to say a really cool catchphrase. And he is pulled off to the corner of the room and slammed up and down by presumably the same invisible entity that captured Angela and uh, he dies. You know, it's not like in the books, which was, that's uh, crazy last words. John Constantine does what you've seen him do in the GIF a million times, (laughs) rolls up his sleeves, puts his arms together into the light. I command thee. We find out this entity is none other than Gabriel. So Gabriel has a resentment. He, God favors humans. Gabriel plans to unleash hell on earth to weed out those who they believe is unworthy of God's love. I'm not really sure this plan. I don't know if this makes a lot of sense, but okay. Gabriel casts Constantine from the room. It's like, get out. I'm a powerful half angel. You can't touch me. And then prepares to use the spear to cut Maman free from Angela. Really cool, really cool scene here. Out of options, out of energy, out of, you know, probably several broken bones. Constantine slits his wrists as he bleeds out. One of the coolest reveals we've ever seen. Lucifer uh, arrives personally to collect his soul. We see the tar, feet touch the ground. Lucifer, stylish, stylish as hell. White suit, Mm -hmm. (laughs) tattooed clearly all over his body. We only see the, uh, the edges of that. Um, so 
what happens next is Constantine or Lucifer. He's looking at him. He's like, I didn't think you'd make the same mistake twice, John. He's like, oh, you didn't. Constantine tells him, if you just look in that other room, you're going to see a plan to disrupt this whole wager you have going on with God. It's going to really throw things out of whack. So after a moment, he's like, you're bluffing. He's like, oh, what the hell? I got all the time in the world. He goes to check, confirms the truth. He banishes his son back to hell, blows off Gabriel's wings. It's a very cool scene. He's a very powerful person. Gabriel. Can um, I interrupt real quick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The demon in the hospital, who is a person who's a person that I recognize, <laughs> is Michelle Monaghan from Mission Impossible and True Detective. Whoa, that's her? Yep. That's pretty wild. That's her. Holy water? There you go. Oh, well, she was definitely an act. She was definitely doing stuff. Well. Was she? I feel like I, I don't know. Maybe I feel not. like a lot of her stuff was like 2010. It's possible. Yeah. You might be right on that one. She was also in one of the. Uh, I'll look into it. That's cool. Yeah. That's some anyway. cool trivia right there. I, yeah, I, was, I was scouring IMDb while you were talking and I was the founder. <laughs> you just earned another point. Now you have twice as many points as Evan. So, <laughs> so um, research pays off, kids. There you go. Do See? your homework. Uh, Lucifer, like I said, uh, Gabriel was like, oh, I'm going to fight you. I'm going to fight you, Lucifer, goes to smite him. <laughs> it's like, fist comes up short. Uh-oh, you're not backed by the big man upstairs anymore. Uh, Lucifer dispatches Gabriel, not just turns Gabriel human, really. The wings go back into the pool, all that stuff. Lucifer then grants Constantine a wish out of gratitude for helping maintain this balance and assuming he'll ask for an extension, as he says. Constantine asks, actually, that Isabel be released to heaven, right? Lucifer, he's like, whoa, this is a, what a twist. All right. He complies. He's like, done. It's done. She's there. But he realizes just a little bit too late that he can't take Constantine to hell as a consequence because he sacrificed himself. It was not a selfish act. He just did it because he wanted to. And Constantine is entered. Uh, he was uh, granted entry into heaven. Which was a really funny, cool scene when he gives him the finger on the way up. Yeah, I love that. When he's like <laughs> floating up to heaven and there's light and whatever, and he gives gives Peter Stormare the finger. Yeah. I laughed very hard. I did. The look on his face was really funny too. Like as he's floating up, you're mm -hmm. like, oh, this is great. And so, then the devil says, no. Right. He's like, he is if pissed. If I can't he's have you, no one can. I'm yeah. going to give you more time to fuck up. That's it. And it's cool. That's kind of another cool twist. So what he does is he heals the cuts on his wrists and he cures him of lung cancer. I love that scene when he reaches into his lungs yes. and pulls out these like gross black dripping yeah. masses out of his lungs. And he's like cancer free now. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like now now you're free to screw up again. Uh Angela and Constantine, uh, they, they, they eventually both wake up, right? They, they meet, they, and then they're like, all right, let's get the hell out of here. Uh, Gabriel <laughs> tries to provoke Constantine into killing them. That does not work. 
punches Gabriel in the face instead. That's pain. Get used to it. I love that line. Love that. And I also love the, you're doing so well. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's just. Gabriel's like shouting after Constantine as he walks away yeah. about like, oh, you sacrificed yourself. You're, you're it was so proud, like a, a proud dad of like, you're doing so well, John. Look at you. Right. And just the way that Tilda <laughs> delivered that line was incredible. Yeah. We, it's funny because we really don't know what Gabriel's going to be up to. They, they just retreat back into the pool. Mm -hmm. They just live in that pool now is what I, <laughs> some say Gabriel is still. <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't know. Like, what do you do? I don't know. It's pretty fun. So it's sometime later. We don't know exactly when it cuts to a rooftop scene. Constantine is now making an effort to quit smoking. Right. We get this pretty funny. You, you think he's going to light up a cigarette. He chews on some gum instead. He actually uh, is meeting with Angela. He entrusts the spear to her because of the rules. Mm -hmm. uh, we think and this is not the first time in the movie, but we think that they are going to kiss. They never do. Uh, yeah. A, a potential relationship may be insinuated, but maybe not really. I don't know. It's tough to get a there read on you. There doesn't Constantine. seem to be any heat there. Um, right. There's clearly a close emotional bond. So they're like friends or they whatever. But the, the, I did not necessarily get a romantic context other than the, there was a, oh, they might kiss thing. Yeah. I like to think that that's how most people react when around Keanu Reeves, really, like men and women alike. They, the, he comes, he like reaches past them and they, everyone goes in for a hug or a kiss. That's kind of just how I think maybe I would probably act too. Mm -hmm. so. I think it's also part of the, again, the, like the psychological aesthetic or not aesthetic, but psychological themes of the show, like, or I'm sorry. I'm just so, <laughs> I, I don't time. know. You're good. Tonight. You're good. Um, the psychological themes of the film, because every, again, everybody's emotionally and spiritually exhausted. Um, like it would have been like she's mourning her sister still it would have been a really unrealistic choice that most films absolutely would have made anyway you know yeah, <laughs> especially yeah. around that time period like they, they totally would have you know gone all in on the the steamy heterosexual relationship or whatever but yeah um, I respect this film more for not doing that I, I yeah. do too because I think that like with her religious background, it's a whole thing for her to be in a relationship with him now, he, him knowing for a, forever that he's dying and that when he dies, he's going to go to hell and him working his ass off to try and like make the difference so he can go to purgatory at least or heaven or something. And, yeah. uh, and now all of a sudden he's like kind of clean slate and also not dying. I feel like there's a lot that both of them are processing that right. neither one of them is interested in making out right now. <laughs> right. I got a lot to think about. I got a lot on my plate right now. Finally able to settle down now that we've sent the son of Satan back to hell. Yeah. So that was, that's actually the, uh, that's the end. We, they leave, they, they go their separate ways on this rooftop. Um, I, and it, it just cuts on a shot of him, unless, unless, unless you stayed until after the credits. You stayed until after the credits, which I did, even though I didn't look at any of the credits. I, <laughs> it was pure chance. I went into the kitchen to like get a glass of water and then the music was playing or whatever. And then I went to go look at my computer and then something was happening on the TV. And I specifically like walked out of the room so I wouldn't see credits. So I wouldn't spoil anything for uh, trivia. But yeah, but then all of a sudden something was happening on the screen again. And I was like, wait, there's a cut scene at the end of the credits. 
this you now keep in mind you're like 2004 it, 2005 is this, the first this one i have no idea but i mean no, i never saw this with the end with the wings really i i had never well in the theater I, we I, I think it was a different time i was not trained to like wait and we like marvel movies were main or I, and maybe not marvel movies but like uh, probably the Nolan Batman movies or something. They were the ones that trained me to stay like, oh, you got to stay after the credits for something special. And I this was new to me watching this. I was like, I wonder if there's a stinger. And there is. There is. There is. <laughs> we see Constantine. He visits Chaz, uh, Chaz's grave mm-hmm. uh, and he puts the lighter, his his lighter. That clearly he's, he's given smoking. up smoking. Yeah. Yeah. He's got he the nicorette. Him... So he can put the lighter <laughs> down and walk away from it. Yeah, he says, you did good, kid. He starts walking away from the grave. We see the the, the awesome wings appear, mm-hmm. turn around. Chaz is an angel dressed kind of similarly to Gabriel, right? Yep. Like that same attire. Like maybe, like maybe Chaz filled Gabriel's role when Gabriel right. became human, kind of an implication there. But they don't go into it any more than they're wearing similar outfits. Yeah, and then Chaz just takes off Shoots into the sky. Shoots up into the sky like Rocket Man. Whoa. Sequel time. I'm ready for it. Are, are both of you ready for the sequel to Constantine? <laughs> I am. He's making sequels of all of his movies. Let's just keep it rolling, right? Bills and Ted's and Matrices. Let's do it. Let's keep it going. So when did Dogma come out in relation to this? Dogma was before this by quite a bit, right? 98 or 99, I want to say. Yeah. Because the, um, the the visual, they did the scene very differently, but the visual of the wings, like, being removed and now this angel is mortal was almost yeah. identical. It looked almost identical to, like, when Matt Damon's wings get cut off in Dogma. The, the yeah. way that the stumps were there and, and the whatever. And I was just curious because it was something that occurred to me that I was like, none of the other stuff felt, like, reminiscent of Dogma other than the fact that there's a lot of religious stuff happening. Um, And a lot of talk about, you know, like entrenched Catholicism and that sort of stuff. Um, But I just thought it was very interesting that nothing else echoed for me at all. I didn't think about dogma once, even though there's, you know, a lot of subject matter where they're talking about the same kinds of stuff and like how angels are made mortal is by removing their wings and that sort of stuff. But the look of the like wing stumps. It was like they got the same person from Dogman to do the wing stump for this <laughs> because it was so similar in my memory. Yeah. The the Dogma Balthazar would have been Jason Lee, I guess, right? And that was cool. Yeah. I, yeah. They should have brought him over to this one. That would have been all right. Uh, yeah. That would have been a weird flavor for the movie. <laughs> yeah, it definitely would have been. But maybe better than Gavin? I don't know. It's fine. It's fine. That's it Constantine. Is is. That's Constantine. That's all right. Did it. Yeah. So, you know, the question that we we ask at the end of this, Uh do we ultimately recommend this film? Yes. Asia? Yes. All right. And I am going to go one step further and (gasps) say out of all of the movies that we've seen so far, I recommend this one the most because I feel like it's so different than what I thought it was going to be based on the reputation that it has. What? Yeah, I think out of any movie that we've seen so far, out of any on the list, if someone says, okay, you've watched, you know, 
two seasons of a podcast worth of Keanu Reeves movies, which one should I see? I think it's Constantine. This Not is that it's absolutely the best movie. wild. <laughs> I think. I Not think that it's remember... the best movie, but I think that the cultural, like, I don't think people are going to go back and revisit Constantine if they haven't seen it because there's this, it, like, impression of it being a bad film and it's not a bad film. And if you like comic book movies, you will like this movie. Um, I don't, I would not put it at the top of my list as far as rankings go, which we're about to get to, but yeah, I recommend I also, this one more than any other one that we've seen so far. Hmm. I think also like the, this, there's a strong wreck for, or a strong argument to be made that if you like urban fantasy, if you like, um, supernaturally tinged horror films you'll also like this like it's very much like a genre like hybrid in a lot of ways um i don't remember what actually my top five list was when i came on the show last time but if i didn't put constantine in my top five i'm kind of surprised like because i because i uh because i think it's one of his better films honestly so all right cool i i mean i really had a great time with it too so it's clearly a recommend. Whitney, where are you? So I'm curious, where are you putting this ranking wise in your Keanu? Uh, you know, is this like top 10 material? Is yes, it like... it's top 10. I'm wow. putting it. I'm putting it between a walk in the clouds and parenthood. It's at number six for me. Crazy. Nice. Nice. Yeah. All right. I can get behind that. I am. uh I'm also top 10 for this movie. This one's actually going to. All right. And I know that our next episode is The Reckoning. So please, you know, bear with me here. <laughs> this one is going to uh, be my number eight uh, right up there. And I, I have to make some changes. You know, permanent record would be my number nine. We all have to make nine. some changes. Yeah, this is not great. But I'm, permanent I'm happy. Permanent record is nobody's number nine. <laughs> it's not. It's not even mine. I know it's currently listed as my number nine, and I just it was just out of some foolishness that it remains there. So, um, right. But yeah, I definitely top ten material. To be said for like ranking them and then going back later and looking at your rankings in retrospect because there's there's are emotions that like get involved at the immediate time, and and talking about those emotions as we're feeling them and then going back and looking at them in the scope of all of the history of every thing we've seen so far I, it's why i really like the reckonings because i feel like permanent record really affected you at the time to right. put it so high because you bumped it down now like four times it was like very high in your rankings and then like overall is that a good movie not nearly as good as other things that should be in your top 10 but the fact it's that true. it like hit you so hard at the time says something for that movie right I refuse. Why is my own private Idaho as high as it is for me? Like, that's a good movie. And I think it's a very big part of queer cinema history. But it right. is not a number eight movie. All right. Yeah, it's not. I mean, yeah, that's I, I think. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the reckoning to make these changes and adjustments and <laughs> get a little bit more clarity. It's like, oh, OK, got it. It's just cool to rewatch these movies like this too. something I have seen, but not since. With uh, a little bit more life experience and fresh eyes and having seen how essentially like Marvel and DC have done it mm -hmm. in the interim. Yeah. Cool. And cool some stuff. of it far, far more uh, 
far poorer than Constantine. <laughs> I guess I really am shocked because I had heard so much about it not being a good movie and not being accurate to the books, which is still true. But I, I feel like I had such a this is part of Keanu's bad period image in my head like those years that were his like lost years as far as movies go this was one of them and it's so not it's so not it's Are if you like or maybe we should talk a little bit maybe i don't know uh, we can not talk about it um <laughs> about uh roger ebert ranking this film as one of his all-time worst movies ever oh okay so let me tell you about roger ebert every time <laughs> Every time that I have looked at a Roger Ebert review for Keanu Reeves movies, not as a whole, but when it comes to Keanu Reeves, he is diametrically opposed to how I feel about the movie. He is he is giving some very terrible movies some very high praise, and all of the ones that I like, he says are terrible. So I Why don't do you know. think that is? I don't know. I don't know. I think... I think that Roger Ebert was very much a sucker uh, when it came to sort of Keanu Reeves, like laid back surfer Bill and Ted persona that like a lot mm. of people that were I think it was a certain age. I think Bill and Ted came out at a point where a certain age of adult was like, this guy's an idiot. Of course. Absolutely. And <laughs> I feel like that. Well, no, like that I think that's really like literally how sort of a, almost a Michael McConaughey like. He almost had a McConaughey type persona for a while for for mm. a certain generation oh, of Matthew people. McConaughey? Yeah, like, Matthew McConaughey, not Michael. I don't know what yeah. I was thinking. But <laughs> Matthew McConaughey. He almost has a Matthew McConaughey surfer, California, laid back, no shirt, kind of a uh uh No, he absolutely opinion. did because he also did point break too and um, right. oh right. And and like they both came around like those were his first like really big movies after My Own Private Idaho, right? So like yeah. um like he definitely that was his type that he had to break through for a while. Um, and I think it was also a type that a lot of people in the eighties responded to. And so I think whenever he moved away from that, he was judged more harshly and scrutinized a lot more. And I, I think that's what Roger Ebert is doing is like, Hey, this guy's an idiot, but this is actually, there's some depth to this movie. And it's always the movies that have some depth to them that I don't like. Um, <laughs> it's always, the, what was the big one that, that Roger Ebert loved and all of us hated? Which one was that? I can name a couple that none of us recommended. Uh, uh, the Last Time I Committed Suicide. Uh, Feeling uh, Minnesota. Might have been uh, Feeling Minnesota, but I feel like it was a little bit later on. I think it was more something like, it wasn't Johnny Mnemonic. Let oh, me, God. So let me say the most recent the, the most recent one that Ebert loved that we loathed was yeah. Ellie Parker. Oh, which is not a Keanu God. Reeves Ellie movie. Ellie Parker is the worst thing I've ever seen on film. <laughs> I kind of just want Asia to hear. That's the only reason I brought it up. Whitney, I mean, we all I, really did not like Ellie Parker, but, but Whitney, goes, she thinks it's the worst thing Ellie Parker. ever. It the, worst. the worst movie I've ever seen. And I've seen I don't think bad I even, movies. I don't think I've ever even seen that movie, and now I have to see it. So, oh God! <laughs> I mean, it's okay. going to be like it's, the worst thing ever. <laughs> it is not one of those. It's so bad, it's good. It's not it's like not. going to see Cats in the theater, which I did. <laughs> of course, it's not of like it's not like a riff tracks or or MST3K bad. This like, is a MST3K could could not save that. Is what no. you're saying? <laughs> I don't think so. There's nothing to save. It's no movie. It's like a video diary of Naomi Watts struggling in Hollywood 
but it's fictionalized and it's so through the male gaze, but there's no plot. It's like three days in her life where nothing happens except for she breaks <laughs> up with her boyfriend and she goes on a couple of auditions. Was this before or after Mulholland Drive? I think it was right around the same time. Was the oh my god, that we came to right around the same time. This was not like pre breakthrough into Hollywood. This was like while she's getting big and making big films, she's making mm-hmm. this student art. Piece, <laughs> shot on like a camera borrowed from Best Buy and then returned after they're done shooting it oh. today. And it's like, it's so, there's, it just says nothing. It, there's an absence of moral. There's an absence of story. There's an absence of plot. There's an ob- absence <laughs> of viewpoint. Like there's no reason to make this movie because it's literally just watching an actress in her car, like psyching herself up for auditions. And then you don't even know what happens uh, from what the outcome of some of the auditions are. Oh, that sounds like something I really want to see. (laughs) Oh, Asia, please. I mean, it would actually be really funny for you to write about. Oh my God. It is. I, I found it so absent of any reason to make the film that I actively said, I know that me being this vehement about how bad it is, is going to make you guys want to go see it. Don't go see it. It is a waste of time. And it is not, it's not a waste of time in the way that something that's like, you know, the lost skeleton of Cadavera was sending up all of those movies. <laughs> right, right, like, right. There's so, there's so much out there that I, I'm really a fan I'm of. I'm just it's so wondering bad if it's like doing some sort of Jean Dielman thing where it's like, trying to be like cinema verite, you know? Oof, I, I don't I mean, think so. It did not come across to me that way, but watch it and see. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you're the one that does this for a living, not me. <laughs> I, right. Oh, on um, the, in the Ebert side, he said, this is that Ellie Parker is the film. They should show uh, students instead of inside the actor studio that those were his words that he said about this film. And you've heard heard Whitney's side (laughs) needs to watch this movie as a prereq. Yeah. And that's, uh, I mean, that's a, mm, that's a hard line. I don't, I don't know. I do not know about that one. It was garbage well i'll i garbage was it two hours like a 90 minute film like a full-length film yeah barely barely 90 minutes i would say okay and it was probably it should have been about 15 minutes it it felt like a short (laughs) it felt like Uh, a short that had been expanded into a movie with absolutely no reason why they were expanding it into a movie and no extra plot added they were just like Let's make this 15 minutes last for an hour and a half. I love, I, that's why I brought it up. I love this. I literally like, I can't, (laughs) the words, the words, Uh, not good. Oh, I'm like uh, Mrs. White in Clue, like the flames on the sides of of my face, face. (laughs) breathless, heaving breaths. That's how I feel when I think about Ellie Parker. It's a comedy Good. drama. It's a comedy oh. drama. No, no, it's not. The, the not. Wikipedia Wikipedia describes it as a comedy drama. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> there no. was no comedy, and there was very little drama. I, and I also will say, Asia, this was another one of these instances where we were duped. Uh, this is a. This is not a Keanu Reeves it film. Is. Keanu it Reeves is, a, not is not in it. It is a. Dog star. It's a dog star. Yeah, it's a dog star film. Oh, dog no. Star is on stage 
for about 30 seconds and then never reappear and never have anything to do with the plot. So there's been like two or three movies that are on his IMDb that right. are dog store. Dog star is on stage performing and he's like playing an instrument and, and it's like credited. background in a club or something, but he's credited <laughs> and we accidentally had to watch a terrible movie because dog star was playing in the background at a oh club. Oh my God. I yeah, think that's kind of amazing. Uh, I think we, we officially are now in the time frame where he's big enough that we are no longer in the right. Oh wait, is this a dog star movie and not a Keanu movie? Yeah, we're out of the dog star years, we as are. it were. But the, uh, like two or three times, we've been burned pretty hard by that. Yeah, they were not good. The dog star years, not not good years. I am glad that you fell on the sword for everyone else. <laughs> it's it's rough. Hey, I don't know. We're doing the Lord's know. work out here. <laughs> right. <laughs> Having fun, though. Having fun. Yeah. All right. So uh, recommends all around. Mm -hmm. um, I'm certain that Evan recommends this. I'm going to put him down as a recommend also. Uh, I think that's a fair assumption. Lord knows where he's going to put this in his goddamn rankings, though. <laughs> He's the most unpredictable person. He's like, he's like our Roger Ebert. He's like. <laughs> he is our Roger Ebert. He's like, I, I wholeheartedly recommend it. It's my 38th Keanu Reeves film. So that's where it falls. Nice. Uh, next week, we are going to get the whole crew together for our season two reckoning. Uh, obviously, we very are going exciting. to reevaluate every decision we've made up until this point. Yeah, we just reflect on our, our movie rankings, make changes where necessary, try to justify those changes. I will yell at Evan a lot. We'll yell at Evan for his right. rankings I will... and changes. <laughs> or lack thereof. Right. Last time he made no changes. It was Which unbelievable. Was dumb. What a what but, a power play. What a power it's play. It's a power play to say, no, my top ten stays exactly as is. Nothing changes. Yeah. In the whole I'm gonna thing. try my best. To and keep that's how he tomorrow. ended up with what, what did he end up with? With, uh, well, I don't know. All of those are bad. All of his movies are bad. <laughs> <laughs> the Matrix is fine. The Matrix, the Matrix speed, is fine. Point Break. Speed, yeah. Point Break. He's those got are some all good. good. Ones. They're good. They're fine. Whatever. The Devil's Advocate is number six, and that's wild. It's pretty wild. Yeah. He's got some. He's got some cleaning up to do. The Watcher is his number nine film. Yeah. Oh my oh, god. I remember that. Number nine film. <laughs> yeah. What? What is happening? All right. It doesn't matter. That's Find next out week. next week. Next week we'll we will try talk to about Evan. what is happening. <laughs> so that's, a, that's like a, a slightly shorter episode, more fun, less structure. It's fine. It'll be good. So that's uh, that brings us to the end. Uh, what a fun episode! I had a blast yep. talking had, to the two of you about uh, this. This was a, this was a good one. This is a banger. Yeah, yeah. So Asia, if you would, could you tell the listeners where they can find you, your work, anywhere, anything on the internet? Sure. Um, I write about culture for Vox. My Vox byline is just vox.com/slash. I don't know, author slash Asia, whatever. Um, <laughs> but you can also find me on Twitter where I will uh, usually post my articles and that's Twitter. Um, and it's Asia, A-J-A, Romano, R-O-M-A-N-O. Um, I'm on Tumblr as bookshop, uh, but I mostly don't even post a Tumblr anymore because nobody posts a Tumblr anymore. Mm. Um, 
I will say if you like go to my Twitter right now, I'm like currently like obsessed with this Chinese drama. So just just <laughs> I've been following it. along. I'm so sorry. I just apologize <laughs> to everybody. I can't help myself. Uh, <laughs> it's taken over like my 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 feed. My entire like friends list is also becoming obsessed with it. So it's not just me, but um yeah, so that's happening. But normally I mostly just post about like, I don't know, random shit. So uh where else am I? I don't know. I don't know. I'm around. You'll find me. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Yeah, I, I will say, you know that, uh, you know, the face like a dog makes when they're a little confused, like their head tilts to the left. <laughs> I'm following that thread of yours and I'm like, huh? And I, but it's like very, I'm like, all right, okay, okay. It's I so get behind good. this. This it's... is kind of cool and weird. Uh, I appreciate the visual yeah. supplements as well. So it's like, all right, I'm right, in. Right, right. I mean, the show has like three different names and is based on like a, 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 a series, a book that also has like 18 different adaptations and variants. So trying to parse it is, is very confusing inherently. But <laughs> yeah, as long as I'm providing you with visuals, that's all I care about. Right. And th- those are very important and fun. So <laughs> I like it. Thank you. We- uh, Whitney, what mm-hmm. do you have going on this week? Um, yeah. So, uh, Whitney underscore Nelson, N-E-L-S-E-N on Twitter. And you can kind of find everything from there for historical hotties. We're doing what we always do in February. Uh, we're doing it again this February. We're a coming back from our holiday hi- hiatus, but we're also every February we do things related to Valentine's day in one way or another. So, uh, we're going to do most famous love lovers like most famous couples we're going okay. to talk about um martyrs um which is interesting relevant to this episode as well but yeah. because saint valentine was a martyr uh we're going to talk about martyrs we're also going to talk about the hottest i think floral designers we agreed on in history <laughs> so if any of those strike your fancy as something that you'd be interested in talking about who's the sexiest out of those kinds of categories come find us at historical hotties at historically hot pretty much everywhere um nice and uh yeah we will be ranking those people <laughs> who, who are the hottest floral designers in history? Find out at Historical Hotties. Right. Such a good conceit. And, I, I, and yeah. I was just recently on Almost Better Than Silence. So if you want to hear me talk about video games, um, I talk a lot about... What did I talk about? I don't even remember what I talked about. That's how, that's how January has been for me. <laughs> right. I, I, don't remember, I don't remember where I was two hours ago before we started recording this, so I don't remember That's what right. I talked about. But I talk about video games on Almost Better Than Silence, so come listen to me talk about video games. Two hours ago, you were watching The Circle. I, I was watching The Circle two hours ago. <laughs> Andrew remembers better than I do. But then again, I watched this movie in theaters and then had a long conversation about it and didn't remember any of that. So don't trust my memory. There you go. So definitely uh, follow along historical hotties. Tears lost in the rain. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's beautiful. Uh, you can find me uh, on Twitter and Instagram at Dark Driving. I uh, I feel like I feel like Asia. I post a lot of uh, of shit. Uh, I, I don't know if there's any <laughs> rhyme or reason to it. Um, it's mostly just like a notepad for me. Uh, you can also follow me over on uh, Twitch.tv. Getting back into streaming and not just games, but. Uh, I experimented with streaming some like video editing type stuff, and it turned out pretty well. I guess a couple, couple viewers there follow along, ask questions, do that kind of stuff. So uh, if that's your bag, video editing, uh, learning a new skill, uh, give it a follow. Twitch.tv/slash Dark Driving. I'm Dark Driving everywhere. Just do that. 
And I think that brings us to the end of this incredible episode. So, thank you all for joining us. And in the words of Bill S. Preston and Ted Theodore Logan, be excellent to each other and party on, dudes. Another flawless show. (laughs) I'm glad you guys thought so, because the whole time I'm just like, I am really exhausted and barely coherent. So, (laughs) no, that was great. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, I think it was I think it was the exact right mix of like nonsense and sidebars and, (laughs) um, you know, calling. Matthew McConaughey, Michael McConaughey (laughs) mixed in with genuine film critique that that we really strive for on this program. Right. You got to keep it light. You got to keep it light. (laughs) It was awesome. Cool. Well, all right. I hope you guys have a good season too. If you want me to come back, let me know. I'll be happy to come back. Always. Yeah. What what are the next movies coming up that you feel passionately about? Because. We, be, li- we like having you on for the ones that you have strong feelings oh, about. Um, so we're talking, to, if just for reference, 2000 and the, the years 2006 to 2016, so that 10-year period. So uh, so the lake, the lake House is coming up soon, right? That's it's, like yeah. the lake house, 2007, yes. right? Yes. Yeah. I like that one. Um, I think that was actually no. one, of the one, one of the ones that I, like, listed. I don't remember. I honestly don't remember anything, any of the films that I listed besides... Um, uh, John Wick, of course. Yeah, got that and, coming up. Of course. Um, oh, and, uh, the Lake House. I don't know why. I'm like, I think I was just like, I'm just gonna stick the Lake House in my top five and fuck it. <laughs> uh, a lot of people are very anxious to for us to get to the Lighthouse. That's or Lake House. That's one of those that like people consistently have said, "Have you watched the Lake House yet? What do you think about the Lake House?" When it's we tell them what weird. we're doing. Yeah. It's one of those that comes up where people are like, how did you feel about it? I want to know. We'll get there. We'll, we'll get, get there. there. We're not there yet. <laughs> I'm dreading it. Oh, really? Don't yeah. Dread it. Don't dread it. Um, You've never seen it, right? Is that true? I've never Whitney? seen it. I've never seen there it. There you go. I just historically, and this is actually proven to be false in retrospect doing this mm. podcast, but you I historically hated Keanu Reeves in a romantic lead. I feel like his strength is in is in like that self-contained passion and earnestness that we were talking about when it's very like about him and what he believes in. And I feel like he does not play off of lead actresses very well. So <laughs> for um, many, many, many years, I well, was there's, always there's talking a, about how like there Trinity in the first in Matrix. This. 
there are conceits in this film that that alleviate a lot of that discomfort for you. Yeah. Oh. I don't. I have neither of you seen it. Like, because the well, I mean, I, I know like, that it's. I know that they're like separated in time. Right. So right. I, I know yeah. that part about it. But yeah, and they don't like they're in the same temporal space or the same space, but temporally dislocated, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so you won't really have like he won't be interacting with like. Like they, I mean, not to say that he and and Sandra Bullock don't have chemistry because they do have chemistry. I think um, they do mm-hmm. have chemistry. That was one of those things that I was surprised about when we watched Speed. Uh, I was like, <laughs> "That's a lot more chemistry than I remembered," and I maybe have misremembered this whole he doesn't have chemistry with any female leads thing. <laughs> well, but I think but I, I felt like that's why John John Wick and the first Matrix are so strong is because it's just about him and his like internal story because that's what he tells so well. Sure. Sure. Mm-hmm. Completely. And I think that also speaks to his like recurring, um, just resonance as a queer figure for the queer community. Yeah. Um, which is a whole like separate Ted talk or whatever, but <laughs> um, yeah, I like, I'm looking at the filmography. I like, uh, I really like a scanner darkly. Actually. I haven't seen that in forever. That's a good oh, one. Mm-hmm. And, and um, I, I don't, Andrew, have you seen A Scanner Darkly? I have not. I, yeah, I, not, so neither I of the guys the... have seen A Scanner Darkly, yeah. and I think that's a super interesting one. Yeah, I you'll enjoy that. have a lot of feelings about Linkletter. Um, <laughs> I've never seen the... I, have I seen The Day of the Earth Stood? I think I've seen part of The Day of the Earth Stood still. I think that oh, he boy. actually... I mean, that's probably a shitty, shitty movie, but I think he's probably a good, a really good choice <laughs> for that particular part, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. And I, I definitely would like, I would like to talk about 47 Ronin if you're into that. Cause I think, yeah, we, that would you know be what? a good one. Yeah. We've had so many people use that as the butt of a joke and <laughs> I, I, and I, I kind of get it. Like I, I, I have not seen that. Like I know he got into that little phase there. Like he actually directed the man of Tai Chi Yeah, yeah. or, and then he got into the 47 Ronin and that's like the butt of a joke for a lot of, when I'm like, I do a Keanu Reeves podcast. And I, I guess Whitney here is like, did you do the lake house? And it's like very <laughs> ponderous and all of my friends trolls that they are, you know, oh, oh, 47, 47 Ronin. Ronin. Yeah. He was like, all right, come on, yeah. come on. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's problematic as fuck, but it's definitely worth talking about, you know? Well, and I also right. think that having you on for something like that in the same way that it was good to have you on for The Watcher is, like, <laughs> putting it into context. Or put, having you on for this one is, like, the context of what's happening around it and, like, yeah. why it's problematic and, what like, why it's relevant to still watch and talk about. I think it would be good to have you on for that one. Oh, thank you. Yeah, right. anytime. Awesome. Well, then we will reach out. You've that solidifies your friend of the show status. So, (laughs) oh my god, I just hope I can get past three points next time. (laughs) I guarantee your per episode average is higher. (laughs) Maybe we'll we'll switch to Jeopardy rules, and then we'll just have. You know, you just got to yell your name and then whoever well, does be that first. that's my downfall. If you I just need, give, I need a training montage. <laughs> right. You're just flipping through books. Yeah. It's like yes. scrolling IMDb furiously. Yeah. Yep. I'll be set. That'll be a good one. All right. Well, All right. the circle is calling my name again. So I'm oh, going to go okay. back to watching reality TV like a garbage person. <laughs> I know who wins. <laughs> I uh, yeah, I'm pretty late to the game as far as the people who like watch it as soon as it comes out. I, <laughs> everyone knows, like everyone in my feed who, when I said the circle has sucked me in, 
I've gotten more responses on that than I have anything else I've posted recently. And it's all people being like, oh, my gosh, it's so good. And trying to talk about spoilers. And I'm like, hang on, guys, I'll be there in like 24 hours. Just let me have this 24 hours. Press press pass. All the the binge pressure of Netflix, Mm -hmm. etc. No good. No good. (laughs) All right. Good night, everybody. All right. Good night. Thank you both so much. Thank you. Good night. All right. Bye.